We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. I am Megan Weiskup with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources and Tana with me. Hi y'all, Tana Fancher here with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. In the background, silent as a mouse, we have Julia. So she's gonna, she's here in spirit, kind of giving us high fives and claps silently in the background. So thank you all for joining us again for another episode. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had the opportunity to really talk about the summer and what we're going to be doing and really exploring the three different states and state park systems where we can go explore, camp, get out. Out and, and just do things. Um, I think we've talked about it a few times, but with the COVIDness kind of winding down and, and people are just itching to get out. Last few weeks, we've talked about fishing and that's certainly near and dear to all of our hearts. And this is definitely the time of the year to do it. But another thing that I think that often gets overlooked is bow hunting. And no, there is no open season yet. But that old saying of it's never too early to start practicing, it's never too early to get rolling. I, I can't think of a truer statement, assuming that truer is actually a word. It fits so well when it comes to bow hunting. The, the more time you can put into it, practicing and, and really just prepping yourself for the season, it's going to pay off in the long run. So I'm so excited because this morning we have Iowa's own Steph Lane on with us to talk about bow hunting. For those of you that might not have heard her before or listened to her, she is the host and the brains behind the podcast, The Woods and Waters Project. Don't do it right now, finish our podcast, but when you're done with ours, flip over to SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and please download, listen to it. Um, Steph's tagline is, it's all about empowerment and badassery. I mean, what more could you possibly want in anything? Um, I mean, I think I rise and shine every morning wondering how I can make the world and my life more badassery. I, awesome. But yeah, seriously, the, the podcast really dives into different conversations with people, hunters, anglers, wanderers, outdoorsmen that have awesome stories and they're there to share. So take a listen. For those of you that have been involved with Iowa Becoming an Outdoor Woman program, you've met Steph at multiple occasions. Those of you that have done Field the Fork or Bow Hunting 101 classes, you've met her, but I couldn't begin to give a background. So I'm going to stop talking and rambling and just say, welcome Steph. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And it's it's nice to be here. I'm, I'm so pumped to be here. Well, Steph, we're so excited to have you. Um, I've been exploring your website at woodsandwatersproject.com. P.S. Everybody should go check that out. But like Rachel said, I just, I love your tagline of the empowerment and conservation and badassery. That's so fun. And you've also written on here about your podcast, that it's about some of these deeper connections in the outdoor world and with each other. 
Um, you talk about the importance of sharing our stories and making everyone feel welcome because the outdoors is for all. So we're so glad to have you on today because I think you definitely uh, fit with our mission and we fit with yours. And we're so glad to uh, have you as a partner in that sense. Um, so I know Rachel and Megan have had the pleasure of working with you through the Iowa BOW Becoming an Outdoors Woman program, as well as some other opportunities. But this is the first time that I've had the pleasure of meeting you. For our listeners who maybe haven't had that pleasure as well, will you tell us a little bit about how you got introduced to the outdoors and kind of the path that's led you on so far? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Your introduction <laughs> you guys did for me is just so great. I have like all the feels right now. But yeah, I started hunting with my dad when he started taking me uh, duck hunting when I was four years old and I still vividly remember it. I remember my first time going out there and there's a lot of men in my family. There's not a lot of females. So I always had oversized hand me down everything, uh, whether it was my hunting clothes, my guns, whatever. So I, I was always running with the boys and it's just the earliest parts of my childhood. It started with waterfowl hunting and then I started deer and turkey hunting with my dad when I was really young. Uh, I shot my, gosh, I mean, I was probably that little when I was first introduced to guns and I was about 10 or 11 years old when I started shooting a bow. It just has always been a part of who I am. I can't really remember a time that it wasn't a part of my life, uh, except when I got a little older, when I got out of college and I got very serious about my career. I had a couple of years in there where I was still hunting and fishing and doing all of that, but it was really minimal. And I was really really busy with work and I was just really unhappy and didn't feel like myself. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this, but the last few years I have thrown myself back in immensely because it's just has always been a part of me and it makes me happy and it keeps me going and it makes other parts of my life better. So I had a few years in there where it was kind of on the back burner, but it's been, it's been a part of my life since I can remember. Hey Steph, I'm curious, you know, you said you grew up waterfowl hunting in Iowa and really grew up in this like kind of hunting culture. What advice do you have for women who maybe didn't have that similar upbringing and are, I think we find that a lot of times people in general are scared to get in it if they weren't raised that way. What advice do you have for those folks? Ah, oh gosh, you could talk about that a lot. There's layers to that to pick apart. So even though I grew up in that environment, I didn't grow up around other women doing it. I grew up actually around very few people that hunted. So it was my my dad, my brother, a couple of my uncles and some cousins. And it was primarily my dad and I. And I'd have a couple of friends once in a while as we got older who wanted to tag along and they would come with us. But then, you know, they would try to come, but just, you know, people were people are busy and would just maybe make excuses or some reason not to go. So even though I grew up in that environment, I'll tell you, I still, the older I got, the more realized how I realized how alone I was in that. There wasn't actually a lot of people around me that were similar. So the reason I'm so delved into it now is because my dad actually taught himself. He didn't really grow up hunting besides squirrel hunting. He taught himself. So as I got older and I started asking a lot of questions and I'm a very curious person, my dad didn't always know the answers. And I think that was, I think that was, and still is hard for him. Um, you know, he just, he just figured it out. And so he just told me what to do. I sat where he told me to sit. I, I shot what he told me to shoot. I, I did everything by what my dad told me to do. And not that that was right or wrong. There was still success. My dad's a very successful hunter, but there were just things that I was always doing it his way. And now I do things my own way. So I will say, even though I grew up around that, I have spent half of my life 
kind of reteaching myself and refiguring things out and asking deeper questions and taking it a few extra miles. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed. And like, the more you get to know me, the more you'll know that I am. So even though I grew up in that environment, what I would say is to anybody, whether they grew up in it or didn't, and they, and they love it or they're, or they're interested in it is just being really curious. You're never going to know everything, right? You're, you're never going to know everything and really anything that you do. And you just have to be okay with that. You have to be curious and, and excited about every time you go out, you're learning something a little bit more, or you're becoming a little bit more capable, or you're noticing things out in nature that maybe you never noticed before. And I would say that you, that will keep you going on the really unsuccessful hunts when you can find simple joys, simple pleasure, and just being better, you know, just that really motivates me. At the end of the day, if I don't have a have an animal to take home, but I did something a little bit better. I, I did more scouting. I saw animals I didn't see before. Maybe I shot something different. I hiked a harder terrain. I am better with my equipment than I've ever been. Having those milestones and, and finding excitement in that is going to keep you going and you're going to learn so much if you just pay attention and don't just be so focused on the fact that you're new, you don't know what you're doing, be your own your own hero kind of if, if that makes if that makes sense yeah Steph I love that thank you I think that <laughs> applies to anybody wherever they're at whether they're a newbie or not is to focus on that process and um, that's something I'm definitely going to take with me after today <laughs> great job we're already getting there with these little nuggets <laughs> I like the idea of kind of embracing your inner five-year-old too right yeah. kind of why how what am I doing you know just always asking those questions and and, and these nuggets of wisdom is really what I, I love about this podcast, just having the opportunity to, to talk and, and chat with people and women that really just exude excitement and, and passion for what they do. Steph, you, we mentioned the Woods and Waters Project. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about kind of the experience with your podcast? And, and maybe you have a, a story or two that you'd be willing to share about folks that you've talked to that really, really spoke to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I'm serious. I love every one of my guests that I've had. I am extremely fortunate to have the connections that I, I have now from the podcast if anyone out there is thinking about starting a podcast, it, there's a lot of reasons to start one. But for me, especially related to the outdoors, every one of these people have impacted my life since before, after, during the interview. Just nuggets of wisdom, like you said, things I've learned from them, the friendships I have. Sometimes when you're getting into an industry or sport or kind of a way of life, there there is a there is this feeling of um, hunters, outdoorsmen are kind of a club, you know, and that, and that can be really inviting or can, and, or it cannot be. And through the podcast, like these people that I've had on, man, they're, they're, these are like, these are my people. I'm always watching what their adventures are. They're always hyping me up. And, you know, I've gotten to go on hunts and do some cool things because I got to know these people. You know, sometimes we all get in our own heads about different things. And, and if, as it relates to hunting, it's just, you know, getting really good at, you know, if you're, if you're trying to shoot a gun or you're trying to shoot a bow, or you want to get good at scouting or whatever, whatever it is, or barrier perceived barriers of entry, things that stress you out, questions you have, there's a whole mess of people out there who actually have gone through the same thing that you've gone through or are right there with you. And I think social media can seem kind of evil sometimes, but in this scenario, I think that there is a whole mess of people out there who 
want to see you be successful and want to share with you and learn from you. Like there'd be people out there. If anyone thinks they know 10% more than the next person, it can be a mentor to someone. I had never thought, you know, a year ago that I could really be impacting people and teaching them different things about hunting. Cause there's just so much I want to learn. There's so, I am not even close to the superwoman equivalent of myself that I want to be, you know? So, but it's amazing when you start talking and sharing how much you impact people. And I would say that's just for our introverts out there that might seem like, oh gosh, but you know, it, it just sharing a little bit and opening up a little bit that there can be negativity with that, but overall it's actually a very positive experience. And there's people who, who want to learn from you just as much as you can learn from them. But a couple nuggets of interviews that I've had, uh, the thing I've learned across the board is that it's never too late. My first interview I had was with a man that I just like, I, I idolize him. I just think he's amazing. He was a cop and at the age of, he was in his early sixties and then he started training English setters. And now he has a YouTube channel and he's an upland guide. And he started doing that in his sixties and his son, his son actually, uh, Will is his name is the guy who really pushed me to do a podcast and helped me get started. Uh, but his sons actually do the hunts with him, the training with him. They do the YouTube channel with him. And he's in his 60s. Like it's something he's always wanted to do, but he didn't do it till he was 60 years old. Another, a woman that I had on my podcast, two different stories. There's a, a woman who's about my age who was going to school and her dad was really, was, was passing away. And it really changed the trajectory of her life, having a conversation with him. And she decided, no, like life's too short. I'm, I'm not going for you know, biology, I'm going to use that love of science and t- take it into something else. So she went to Montana and went to fly fishing school. Now she's a fly fishing guide and travels the country as a fly fishing guide. And another woman I had on, she's a fly fishing guide as well. She's actually like the third qualified fly fishing female in the United States. She took a woman who had, they were going to celebrate her and her husband were going to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. This is one of my favorite parts of my whole podcast. This story is so amazing. They were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And every wedding anniversary, they go somewhere where the husband can fly fish. And then she just sits and reads a book. And he tried getting her into fly fishing, but it always turned into an argument. And any of you who have spouses who, you know, you get that, like it's different with your spouse. And he would try to teach her and it just wasn't clicking. They would fight. But every anniversary was kind of about him having a fly fishing trip and she would just hang out. Well, she was tired of that. She reached out to my friend who was the guest on the podcast and said, teach me, teach me how to fly fish. I want to surprise him for our anniversary. So you're talking like this woman's like 70 years old who wants to learn how to fly fish for the first time. My friend, Nancy, who's the guest on the podcast, takes her for a couple of weeks, gets her, teaches her everything about equipment, fishing, everything, sets it up with the hotel for their wedding, the wedding anniversary that when she gets there, there's going to be a package there for her. Her husband's going to not, her husband's not going to know anything about it. She gets all set up, waits till her husband's out fishing, goes around the corner down river and all set up and catches a fish, right? And it's huge. And this woman, the seven-year-old woman is like petite, just a little thing. And she's screaming and yelling and excited. And her husband looks up river and he's like, oh my God, and doesn't realize it's his wife and comes running down. And she catches this big fish on their 50th wedding anniversary, you know? And like the whole story is just like so beautiful. The husband thanks my friend and says like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to like our marriage to finally enjoy something I love with the person I love. And 
there's just so many themes of that throughout the podcast that weren't even on purpose. They just come up in conversation of just how it's just never too late for people. I have an amazing man on there who has an organization called the Accessible Hunter. Uh, He was in a horrible diving accident in the 90s and and now is paralyzed, um, I believe from like the, the the neck down. And he goes out hunting all the time. And he is like a light and passionate and just, it's amazing that the excuses we make up to not do things or we think something is so hard but I'm telling you there, like, there are just so many stories out there that would make, give you a kick in the pants and make you want to be better and try a little harder. And it's just, I'm getting all jacked up talking about it, just reflecting on them. But there's a lot of really cool stories out there and a lot to learn if you want to, if you want to listen. Please, Steph, you're giving us goosebumps. I I love that. I want to switch gears a little bit because I love this so much, but it was also mentioned briefly, and I want to come back to it, that you've hosted um, a bunch of different programs. Will you tell us a little bit more specifically about a field to fork program and your experience with that program? So I know Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources kind of started this wonderful program, and then it's spread to organizations um, outside of that, such as the Quality Deer Management Association and Georgia Wildlife Federation as well. Can you talk a little bit more about what that program is and your experience with it? I have helped the last two years with Fields of Fork in Iowa, and I'll be helping again this year and just in a different capacity, I think. My first year with Fields of Fork, it's such an important point and like my journey with all of this for me. I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity because I, what, what my role in it was a couple years ago, we brought in 10 new hunters 10 new art, so 10 new archers. So these 10, 10 adults from all walks of life have never hunted before. I don't think any of them had ever shot a bow before besides maybe PE class uh, when they were younger. And we brought them in and we did a 10 week program where my role with them, I was a primary archery instructor and one of the hunting mentors. So for 10 weeks, once a week, they came and met with me and a couple of the other mentors, and we did archery practice. And the goal in 10 weeks was to take them from never hunting and shooting a bow to not just out hunting, but being very proficient with the bow. They had to pass a proficiency test at the end of 10 weeks. They also had to pull back at least 40 pounds. And I think sometimes with archery, that can be something that seems intimidating, uh, is the equipment and can I can I even figure that out in time for the hunting season? Can I pull that much weight back to kill an animal ethically? I mean, I even kind of questioned myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, can I get 10 different, completely different humans with different capabilities ready in in 10 weeks? Every single one of them passed the test and like exceeded my expectations. Um, In the 10 weeks, we, you know, we focused mostly on their form and in, in shooting practice, but then we'd also put in little nuggets there every single week, uh, different bow hunting, you know, advice, talking about vitals, scouting, the animal itself, ethics. Every week we, w- we just taught them a little bit more. And at the end of the program, we did a camping trip where all of us got together, camped, and then the mentor, we had mentors for every hunter. So we had 10 mentors that took their new hunter out and we took them hunting and then we came back and talked about our experience, made a bunch of food, you know, had some beers and uh, went out and did it again the next day. And oh my gosh, they just, I, 
I am so grateful to have been a part of it. It got me out of my comfort zone in so many ways too. Like for public speaking and teaching, it really lit something in me where I'm like, okay, I want to teach and instruct people like this, this, this was very eye opening for me, but oh my gosh, some of those people in particular that stick out in my mind, they just fell absolutely in love with it. And I just think it like awakened something in a few of them. It was kind of a release for them, made them feel capable and strong and as they should, because 10 weeks to go from, you know, literally like no experience to being very capable was an, it was amazing. Uh, this past year with COVID, it was a little bit different, but it was still incredible. Uh, a lot of it was done virtually as far as my mentoring of a person um, and getting to know them. What I actually did was I went out to a property with them this last year and helped them scout. So I didn't get to do as much archery with them, but what I did was I went out to their property that they had access to and helped them pick out their deer hunting spots. Then we walked through and talked about why this was a good spot for them. And then we would, you know, virtually do check-ins and I was making sure that she was feeling good. What was going on with her shot? You know, did you see any deer? And just having that constant check-in with her. So both were just such a cool program. And I, I, I hope I can continue to be a part of it for a long time because it's just, it's amazing. That That's like everything I want is to take someone who's just a little bit curious and make them, I say capable a lot, but capable and, and, and confident and their ability. That's so cool. And I think that field of fork program is so unique in that like a lot of the programs out there are kind of these, I don't want to say short-sighted, but they are kind of a shorter event where it's like, Hey, here's a slight introduction to fishing or to shooting a bow or something like, um, whereas that program is one of the first that's really changed the culture of saying, Hey, let's really invest some time and some resources in a smaller group of people but try to better support them and better connect them with partners, mentors, et cetera. So I, I just think that's so cool and stuff. Um, clearly it's something you support and you've seen great success from. We talked about this as a group, the, orig- the original field of work group that I was first a part of, especially we just got to spend so much time together. And I don't know if that group of people would have ever gotten together if it wasn't for something like this. We are just all so different. And it was very unexpected, just the different characters and their backgrounds and their ages. And, you know, there are people in there who used to be vegans, very against hunting. They had different reasons for being there. I just don't know if it wasn't for programs like that. I just don't know if that group of people would have ever met each other. And we have a connection now, like we've stayed friends this whole time. So it's so much more than hunting sometimes. It's, it's, way, it's way bigger than that. Steph, you kind of touched on it a little bit, just how important that social, that social structure, that social connection, that, that kind of self-acceptance that this is okay, this is good, there's other people that support this, I'm, being a non-hunter going into now calling myself a hunter, I was like a big light bulb moment, because if I look at my social media page, pages or channels there's nothing right it's like just plastered with baby photos and wedding photos and like amazing scenic trips there is no someone out there just sitting in a blind there is no picture of the sunrise over over a duck blind those pictures don't exist in my warped little social media world and Mm -hmm. so to 
the only experience I had was these pictures of people holding something and smiling. And and I'm like, I don't, there was no connection to it. Like, why are you happy about that dead thing in your hands? There was no explanation as to I'm happy because the 11 weeks of scouting and practicing and searching and, and the fair chase of the hunt paid off. None of that came through in the photo, but the picture of the sun rising over the duck blind, I can get behind that because it looks beautiful. And, you know, the solitude and the solace that, that you must experience there, I want to be part of. But the, you know, grin over this thing, I don't have that connection. So having that network where you can go shoot archery and then head over to the brewery, have a couple beers after, talk about what you did, talk about your week, talk about something completely different and then say, see you next week and, and, you know, go back to normal world, but then know that you have those people to, to catch back with that next week. It, it's, it's an amazing kind of community that was able to be built. And the fact that you guys still talk and, and chat and stay connected is awesome to have those resources because you know you probably wouldn't have run into them in your normal day-to-day but now you have those connections to the these outside world and it's it's so cool to hear that you know this bow hunting program warped into this this other you know thing that none of us could have ever imagined so it's exciting to hear it was it was really special it still is it still is very special well, Steph, your passion for bow hunting is really, really evident, both as a participant, but also as an instructor. Like you said, it it like lit a new passion in you that you didn't even know was there. As we start thinking about preparing for fall and getting ready for bow hunting season in many of our states, if our listeners are interested in either starting to shoot archery or bow hunting for the first time, what advice do you have to get them started? I would say... Do your research, but don't do too much research. And what I mean by that is, I think just getting started, figuring out what bow is right for you, you know, doing research on that, asking questions, going to archery shops and and asking for help. Don't, you know, not being afraid to ask for help. But I can be someone sometimes that before I take action, I, I can obsess of like the details and it can take me forever to do something because I just want it to be all thought out. I want it to be perfect. I want to buy the right equipment. I don't want to spend too much money. Is this the right thing? You know, this review says this, and it can be really, especially with equipment and hunting, there's so much advice out there. And so do your research, do what feels right to you, and then make a decision and just be good with that decision so you can move forward. It can be really easy to get sucked into, you know, just if you start Googling it, you start looking things up, you're going to get a lot of opinions, but just do what feels good to you for now. And you can readjust from there, but just get started would be my biggest piece of advice. And when it comes to archery and bow hunting specifically, there's a lot of things there. You know, a common thing that happens is people say they don't know where to go when it comes to land. You might not have private land um, access. I, again, would do your research, use the resources around you to figure out what public land is available. And that's like a whole nother half hour conversation as far as public land hunting goes. But just asking questions and getting on forums. There's so much out there about like Iowa bow hunters, bow hunting, women bow hunting, women hunters, like forums on Facebook, different groups that you can join, ask questions. They're wonderful. Nine times out of 10, 
it's a great experience and just looking into that. But I don't even think that is the biggest barrier of entry. I think the most important thing is to get your equipment and then get really good at it and understanding if you're going to be deer hunting, let's just say we're deer hunting, the deer is going to be coming in at 40 yards or closer, hopefully closer. I wouldn't suggest, especially if you're newer, I would be looking at probably a 25 yard shot maybe. But if you're going to be shooting at target practice and you're going to be shooting at 40 yards consistently, maybe, I would say your shot needs to be in closer, right? I would over practice for what your actual scenario is going to be. So if you're going to make a 30 yard shot, practice further than 30 and get confident at that. Get confident at something further than what you actually plan on doing, if, if hopefully that makes sense. I would overcompensate is what I would say, because when you're in the tree stand or on the ground and that animal's in front of you, your adrenaline's going to get going, whether you think it is or not. Um, you're wearing different layers of clothes. You're gonna be in a weird position. You're not in perfect archery uh, form when you're shooting. So I would practice those scenarios as well. But just remember, I would, I would just overcompensate and just get really good at the archery piece, the bow hunting piece, because the rest of it, it, it can change. You're going to be in different scenarios. But if you can be really good with your bow and you're worried about making an ethical shot, that's the most important thing is just time with your bow. And, you know, to be honest, like not even just bow hunting, you know, one of the hardest things for me, and I've learned this lesson, so I really mean it when I say this, is I'm so busy. I do a lot of type of hunting. I work a full-time job. I have a podcast. I got a lot going on. And it can be really hard for me to get that practice in. But if you don't get that practice in and then you go out hunting and then you miss or hurt the animal, then was it really, <laughs> you know, was it really worth it? So as annoying as practice can be, I guess, sometimes or as daunting, just get really good at that and the rest of it you can learn as you go. That's way easier than, you know, doing all this work to scout land, hike out to your spot, put your tree stand up, whatever that looks like, but then not even be able to pull your bow back or make a great shot. At end of the day, practice is the most important part. And I love how that, that ties in with what you said earlier about embracing the process. Like there's so many milestones, like you mentioned, that you can aim for in that process to keep it from being, you know, boring or annoying or, oh, this is just practice to get me where I'm trying to be. Like, no, there's a whole process in there and you're accomplishing so much. I love that. And I also love that you're a proponent for hunt your own hunt. There, like you said, there's so much information online. It can be absolutely overwhelming. I know when I was like getting into hunting a few years ago and still to this day, like it, it is so overwhelming and there's so much information out there and you have to have this fancy spotting scope and you have to have this and that and the other and you know I don't I know there's lots of different types of hunters out there as far as like gear junkies versus non but I am a if I can have one utility tool to get it done like that's what I'm going for save me some money save me things I have to carry in the field so it was really overwhelming to know like what the right advice was and you know I've heard a lot of people say that just hunt your own hunt um, utilize the tools that you have that you feel comfortable with and you can always expand that later or cut back down on it but don't let anybody else uh, tell you how it's how it has to be done I love that absolutely it kind of reminds me that you know at the end of the day you go back 50 75 years think of how much waterfowl was shot by a farmer in a red and black plaid shirt right like I'm all for the camo and and it certainly has different situations where it works perfect but 
you can't tell me there wasn't a number of deer and waterfowl turkeys that were harvested in red and black plaid. So um, <laughs> I always kind of keep that in the back of my head that maybe I don't need this gear. I really want it. I like it, but maybe I don't need it. But Steph, you kind of mentioned, and I, I think it's important to, to reiterate that with that practice, um, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska have so many wonderful archery shops. They have most of the states have wonderful archery parks. So there's there is opportunity to get out and to practice. And then that really is such an important piece. And those Botex at the shop, I mean, they know the ins and outs of that gear. They can tweak it, change it, fix it, however it needs to, you know, to make it work so that your shot is going where it needs to go. And so I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of getting out to those archery shops and really utilizing their experience, their, their wisdom, um, and their space. So, but beyond kind of maybe going to a class, refreshing your skills, getting out and practicing, do you have any other suggestions or tips for interested bow hunters? I would definitely reiterate kind of the overcompensating. So not just shooting from a standing perfect stance position, but getting in an elevated position, uh, some, something that I've seen a lot of folks do that seems to be <laughs> successful is uh, your adrenaline. You can't really replicate that until you're in that scenario, but you can do where you're like working out, doing some jumping jacks, getting your heart rate, heart rate up and then shooting actually can um, kind of replicate what that feeling's like. So just looking into things like that, it just depends on how serious you want to take it, but it sounds silly. There's just so many ways to kind of take just the normal shooting practice and amplify it. I, I would definitely continue to stress that. Gosh, other suggestions for interested bow hunters. It's kind of like the whole doing research, but not doing too much research. I would say take advice, put yourself out there, but take it all with a grain of salt too. And I know that sounds like such whiplash what I'm saying, but I would encourage you to join some forums if you have them, read articles, just become a sponge and figure out what sounds good and works for you. I like the way um, earlier you guys said hunt your hunt. And I'm a big, yes, I'm a big advocate of that, but I would just, just be a sponge. That is just like what I would keep saying over and over again and practice and have fun. And if at any point it's just really not fun, then reevaluate because it, it, it should be, it should either be motivating in like a competitive way. If that's how you're wired, like, okay, I'm just going to be better than I was yesterday. And you want to take this serious and put your game face on. That's cool. But it's, you know, that kind of motivation or having fun, if you're not in either one of those spaces, I think you just need to reevaluate and see what else um, gets you excited and pumped up. Because I just think archery, the outdoors, nature, hunting, those are all things that get me excited. And there should be, there's a level of misery though with those things. And if that, you know, the bad weather, the time, the money, the mental um, kind of where it can have it. People don't really talk about um, feeling like maybe imposter syndrome or you don't know what you're doing or 
Um, am I really going to shoot an animal? Like all these things that could be going on in your head. If you're more in a negative space and a positive one, something's not right. And I would just put yourself into those environments of like-minded people, surround yourself with that. And I can't, yeah, I just say stay as much of an either like a competitive or a positive headspace as you can. Um, it, it just should be fun. This should be motivating and fun. It should not be miserable overall. Yeah. Well, and you're always learning too, like even through failure or perceived failure, mm -hmm. um, you're learning through that. And if you can somehow find a way to spin that and be like, man, I really screwed that thing up, but I learned not to do that next time. Uh, I think that helps. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I really beat myself up when, when I miss or I make a mistake or I spook an animal or I feel like I pick a bad spot or, you know, whatever it is. Like I, I can be really, really hard on myself in the moment, but, and that's, that's okay. Get back out there. If you have a bad experience, um, it doesn't go right. You don't see, you don't see a deer, whatever. Like, don't let that be it for you. Like go, go again. Um, don't quit. <laughs> and and kind of to reiterate your comment about like the social the social support that you found in Field to Fork, um, there are a lot of uh, competitive 3D shoots. There are a lot of different archery clubs. There's, you know, if you really need to kind of feed on that competitive momentum, you can find, you know, your people there. You can also just find the support in that that like-minded thought. So do some, do some Googling, check out Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa's you know, pages, see how you can get connected to local clubs just to, to surround yourself. I like the forums, but sometimes they go in, in totally different directions. And so at least if you can get connected with people, they can direct you towards, you know, maybe some of those more positive forums that are going to actually aid instead of just go down negative Nancy trains. So yeah, I just, I wanted to throw in that, get out there and, and find those people. I love that you mentioned that too, because like I am, I'm not into bow hunting yet and I really want to get into it, but I'm still new enough that I'm trying to figure it out like with a rifle still. <laughs> um, but like, I love the idea of participating in a 3D shoot because anybody that's been in the field in any form understands that like practicing in your backyard or going out and scouting and then the like pressure and adrenaline of actually having an animal in front of you it's a completely different scenario and like Steph mentioned like your adrenaline gets pumping and you get really excited and it's a whole different headspace and it's such a cool thing to experience but I could see maybe how a 3D shoot would be a good in-between from like shooting a 3D target in your backyard and then upping the pressure a little bit and being competitive about it. So I think that's a really cool bridge and maybe something I'll check out as I get into bow hunting. Yeah, and I have a comment on that is growing up, uh, growing up hunting, my mom is actually not a hunter. She's, uh, she's tried, it's, it's adorable really, but like she has tried a lot and she's just very she's just a very sweet sensitive soul um and she can't she just can't take an animal's life that's just where her headspace is at but she's also very she's a very very proud mom like she loves sharing and talking about my hunts and how awesome that is but she like herself it's just not her thing but she wanted to be more involved so my dad got her a bow and we actually started doing 3d shoots as a family um when i was little my mom is really, really good with a bow. And it's also just a great way if you are someone out there who wants to hunt or 
you know someone who is a hunter, but you want to still be involved with that piece of it with them, but maybe just not the full actual hunt itself. 3D shoots are a beautiful way to integrate that because archery by itself is such a cool thing. So when you can add a little bit of hiking and nature and all of that and have that hunting experience, um, it's also a great way to kind of bridge that gap with your family or people you care about. Um, that was always our go-to as a family thing since mom didn't hunt, but wanted to be a part of everything. Awesome. Well, that's really cool. And that's great, great advice, Steph. I love the family component of that, like that you can participate at any different level and what a great activity. And also you can get some exercise in those 3D shoots as well, right? Like walking around in some of the outdoor ones. That's really cool. So Steph, as you start thinking about this fall and as the hunting season, I can tell you're a very passionate and excitable person. What are you most excited about or looking forward to this year? Oh man, there's a lot uh, that I'm excited about. I throw myself into a lot of really uncomfortable situations so I can come out better on the end. I know that sounds so corny, but like I really do. Uh, I've just seen so much growth in the last few years of things that I've I've been kind of forcing myself to do that make me uncomfortable. This past This past fall, I was kind of a sidekick grunt worker with my boyfriend and his, he's part of a <laughs> snow goose guide service and they travel to snow goose migration. And so I can work remotely. So on my off time, I actually like helped them set up decoys. I did scouting. I shadowed the guides and was just learning from them because waterfowl has been a part of my life for a really long time. And that has kind of like reawaken some things. So it's been really hard for me because bow hunting and archery is such a part of my life. So the hard part is going back and forth between waterfowl and bow hunting and making time for both. It's really tricky. This next fall, I'll actually be guiding um, my first all women's snow goose hunt uh, in Missouri this year. So I will be actually guiding a number of women on a snow goose hunt um, I'll be guiding some other goose hunts as well. I'm going to guide school in July. I turned 30 in July. So I gifted myself <laughs> guide school and going to be throwing myself into a bunch of training there. So just like taking what I'm learning on top of what I already know and putting that to use this year, I'm really excited for. I bought myself a brand new bow. I've always had hand-me-downs. I've always got just what, you know, I could afford. I have a new bow that I'll be practicing with. I have a recurve that I'm practicing with as well. So I'm just really pumped up about just where I'm going to be this fall and what I'm going to learn. Cause just if I could compare what, what I didn't know last year to what I know now, to what this fall is going to bring, I'm just really pumped up for that. Like I just am becoming the best version of myself every season and as, again, as corny as that sounds, it's my favorite part. Just looking back and you said badassery, like my tagline, like that's what that is. It's not even, I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know everything. There's so much I don't understand. But when I reflect back on my seasons before, I'm like, wow, like I can do these things. I couldn't do them before and now I can. That's always what I'm the most excited for. All right. For the the knowledge nerds that, that want to know more, suck up some of that that wisdom, some of the advice, you know, gain knowledge in badassery. Do you have any suggestions or resources, podcasts, books that you recommend? Anything you, you've seen, read that you're like, this was amazing. I have, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audibles and I, I'm trying to slow down and actually read like physical books these days a lot more. I'm reading a book the tree dog encyclopedia. So I'm a recent coon hunter. I have train walker hounds coon hunt with my boyfriend. 
So I'm reading a book about training coon dogs and kind of the history of coon hunting, the nostalgia behind it, breeding dogs and what you're breeding for, understanding their genetics. I am reading, this actually came a suggestion from a guy in my podcast. It's a hunter's road. It's a story of a man like later in life, he has kind of this old yellow lab and kind of reawakens his love for upland hunting and him and his dog hit the road and go on a road trip and road trip across the United States and meet up with random people and upland hunt all over uh, the United States. I can always send you guys the authors too, if you want, but those are some recent ones. As I say, as, as you think about it, if you, yeah. uh, if you come up with some, send them to me and we'll put them in our show notes so that our listeners can, can kind of follow along. Um, another one I wanted to mention was it's called the talent code. And it just talks about the fact that you have to do something so many times to really get it ingrained in you. And it's, it's a great read. So personally, as someone coming into it from the outside, side it's it's nice to to read a couple different books I I can't think of her name right now but she was a a female hunter that got into hunting and and after reading her book I'm like oh I can do this this is you know attainable and and sometimes we all just need that little jolt of energy jolt of belief in ourselves that we can do it and and sometimes by reading it or listening to someone else's story you can you can really grow from it so thanks Steph you are incredible um we could probably talk to you for days and days about this topic we truly appreciate you sharing your time and passion with us I know our listeners are probably eager to hear more from you and connect with you more so um how can they connect with you and um you know are you on social medias how can they get in touch woodsandwatersproject.com is my website for my podcast and also events and workshops that I'm hosting uh, this next year, I'm actually going to be putting together multiple virtual classes. So be on a lookout for that there. Woods and Waters Project is my handle for Instagram. And then Wild and Route or Steph Lane is my name uh, on Instagram for my personal Instagram. You can follow me there as well. I share quite a bit on there. And I'm thinking about getting on the TikTok, but I just can't do it yet. For us uh, older folks, I guess you are on (laughs) Facebook as well, right? At Woods and Waters Project. Yes. Steph, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today. We've learned so much from you and I'm sure you're going to get a flood of new followers and new questions from our listeners because they are so engaged. Do you have any last words of wisdom for these folks or any final things you'd like to leave them with? Be curious find joy in the simple things and like get started, put, put yourself out there and and do it for you, you know, just do it for, you know, whatever like deep rooted reason you have for wanting to start hunting or go hunting and get outdoors. Like there's a reason for that. We're, we're human beings. Like we're supposed to be out and experience nature and that, that is a part of like who we are. And so just, if you're starting slow, that's okay. Just get started. Do it for yourself. Uh, Don't worry about others opinions just get out there and have a lot of fun awesome well Steph we can't thank you enough for joining us today it's been so fun having you on um I'm gonna read one final line from your website because I just I love your website um it says let's connect let's learn and let's do something with it so I would challenge all of our listeners today to take what you've learned today and do something with it um take one small step and and move forward share what you learned with someone else um there's a whole bunch of things. Steph, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
Awesome. We appreciate you. And as always, thanks to our listeners for joining us. So we look forward to connecting with um, everyone on Facebook and be sure to share your pictures um, send us any comments or messages. Um, if you have questions about anything you heard in the show today, you can reach out to us. You can reach out to Steph directly. Um, and we'd love to help you out there. So just remember, be safe, have fun, and never stop adventuring. We'll see you outdoors. Outdoors.